Today, I talk to Elena Kovaleva. She's a global certified compliance expert with more than 15 years of experience in compliance in large international companies such as GE, Microsoft, Georgie, working in regional and headquarters, supporting boards, compliance committees, and establishing compliance programs from the start. And what is very interesting, she challenges corporate compliance standards and silos and believes that compliance should be as simple as possible and very logical. Elena is a national award-winning trainer on compliance and risk management topics and a certified fraud examiner. As always, when I talk to my guests, I'm interested in the person of what is maybe not obvious and not written in the curriculum. I want to learn more about the human who impacts compliance and corporate integrity. Let us learn from Elena's experience when it comes to compliance and corporate integrity in her field of expertise and with global countries, in this case from the Middle East. I'm glad to have you here spending the next minutes together with us. integrity, fraud, non-compliance, and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes, detect threats, and take measurements to protect the most precious assets? As a leader, you need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity, and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur, and independent board member, she knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. So, Elena, it's so great to have you here in our podcast show today. Thank you very much for taking your time and talking to, to me and also to our listeners. And you are aware of the fact that I'm always interested in the human having having the professional hat on, and especially you now with your compliance function you have. But I will also focus on you, your different roles you currently have, but also the ones you had in the past, because you are a very experienced person with more than 15 years and your own personal experience when it comes to corporate integrity, but also compliance, and especially also being in Dubai and making things happen. So not only me, but also our listeners are so curious to learn from you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sonia, for inviting me here. Um, it's a pleasure to uh, to support you um, in any questions you have. <laughs> I think our listeners have a lot of questions. And you know, I also would like to start differently now with that podcast because I know that you are a person challenging corporate compliance standards. And that's so nice. Would you like to talk a little bit about that to start with? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favorite topics indeed. Um, I do believe that compliance is a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. It's not a silos or bureaucratic function which makes stop the business. Um, and the key question is, is a, a risk analysis. Are we ready to take the risk? And this is what compliance is supposed to do. They're supposed to establish rules which would not harm the business but will allow to, for business to work in the legal way. And um, just let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's all about the stories. Um, in one of their, um, uh, in one of my roles, uh, when I joined the company, uh, there was a 
clear prohibition for the big region, which had uh, uh, 40 plus countries, um, that there is no gift or entertainment for government officials, which was contradicting with the local legislation or even like UK FCPA, yeah, you are allowed to give a legitimate, I don't know, to give a cup of coffee mm -hmm. if that's a pure business discussion. Like, again, if there is no uh, illegitimate business um, thought behind, there is nothing wrong with that. And a, our team at that time was completely not allowed to do any of those. So there was a complete, or they was doing that from their own pocket money, which is also wrong. Uh, so because they are violating corporate policy. So corporate world was against regional business world. And uh, what we did at that point of time, we revised the local legislation, we reviewed all the 40 countries and detected, yes, there is few countries where indeed few restrictions exist. But that doesn't mean that there is certain restrictions. For example, restrictions for UAE, for Dubai, uh, there is no restriction for government officials. You are allowed for valid business reason to invite representatives of government organizations for a cup of coffee, for business dinner, again, with a valid business purpose. The key thing is that you need to understand and explain what is allowed, what is a lavish thing. You are not recommended to go to Michelin star hotels and restaurants and maybe um, not to go with a super expensive meal because Dubai can allow a lot of different types of uh, mm -hmm. entertainment and dining options. But if that's a reasonable meal, and you're discussing purely business topics. Why? Why we should restrict the business? It's a normal corporate practice. And I think that's exactly the challenge you have. You know, that's what we already discussed in our pre-discussion. For example, um, if you would like also to fulfill maybe the Western standard standards, but being being active and doing most of the business in the in the Middle East, it can be a huge challenge. Also, from a strategic perspective. What are we doing and what kind of risks are we willing to take? Um, indeed, there is certain risks, uh, well, um, in general, risks uh, in Western world versus Middle East mm -hmm. are rather different. I uh, previously worked in Europe and Luxembourg, and uh, I see that European style of uh, business is quite different than uh, we face here um, in Middle East. Um, but um, I think it just requires proper framework and education. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for example, what is um, uh, allowed in regards of the travel? Because here everyone gets used to travel. Um, um, first of all, the destinations are much far away, five and more hours. Uh, sometimes uh, executives are asking for business class. Uh, you need to review what situation and what particular requirements are allowed if we want to invite third party to travel, if there is a valid business reason. Then there is also a specific cultural aspect, such as uh, uh, gifts and iftars, dinners for Ramadan period, mm -hmm. which also needs to be customary. And again, there should be, should be certain regulations, which from the first look might look strange for Europeans or American businessmen, but it is, uh, would be disrespect if you decline uh, iftar invitation um, in, the, in, the local, uh, in the local culture. So again, obviously, uh, there should be certain 
cultural element as anywhere, like in China, in Turkey, okay. like Absolutely. in Russia, you have all the like different specifics and you need to consider them and incorporate in your local um, compliance program. You mentioned that you used to work in Luxembourg before, which is very European. So how did you manage the compliance cultural shift you made when you moved to Dubai and doing, you know, fulfilling your functions over, the, over there now? Um, cultural shift uh, was not that um, difficult um, because uh, working in Luxembourg, I was covering uh, international businesses that okay. was HQ. Uh, so um, that was a good preparation point for me to fulfill the shift to Middle East and Africa. Um, but indeed, um, um, there is definitely specificity, especially in communication, you know, this mm -hmm. uh, cross-cultural uh, elements, which we definitely need to consider. For example, my favorite is um, level of emotions um, uh, and number of HR cases. Usually in Middle East, number of HR cases significantly higher. Really? Really? Yes, okay. because, yeah, uh, so um, that, that, that's normally because of uh, um Specificity, uh, local people are more emotional uh, in general, um, similar to Italians or Spanish people who are very positive and they want to share their emotions. So sometimes they do complain and uh, you need to understand if that's just one moment and they just want to share and open the soul and just tell you everything that they think or um, it's, a, it's a really, you need to find oh, and, and there is it's a, a real case. issue. Yeah. There, yeah, there is a bullying, there is a sexual harassment, so you need to ask questions because they they just need few minutes to calm down. So what I've learned is just you need to cool them down a little bit and in 15 minutes, um, the proper conversation starts. So does it also mean when you have a whistleblowing process implemented, does it mean you also have more cases compared to the to, to, um, European part of the world? Uh, Definitely. Um, uh, just simply because the risk level for Europe and Middle East and Africa are completely different. But uh, this would mean that you have yeah. you have more cases. So people are speaking up more in the Middle East than in Europe. Is that what you are saying? Uh, no, I think that level of issues in Middle okay. East and mm -hmm. Africa higher just simply because of if we review uh, uh, Transparency International Index mm -hmm. for those countries. Uh, majority of uh, Middle East, probably except UAE, are on the lower side. Absolutely. So you do expect uh, you do expect more issues coming from this region, just simply by default. Human rights issues, bribery, corruption, money laundering, those are uh, one of the most common. Countries. That's also yeah from from a, um, from Transparency International perspective. Yes, I'm just wondering, you know, when you have a whistleblowing process implemented, I'm not sure. And I have seen different, um, you know, cases. So I'm not sure. I'm not not sure whether it's representative. But do you see, compared to Europe, that you have more people speaking up in the Middle East, or is it more same same level? You know what I mean? It's more the cultural part. And because what I have experienced, for example, also when we when when I work in the Middle East, so they are not really speaking up more. They are, of course, more emotional, but it takes much more that, that, um, that you also report it through, for example, a whistleblowing hotline. 
Um, yes, probably if we're talking about a, a level employee wants to talk, um, it's not uh, for, for Middle East is not uh, that different versus okay. Europe. We do know the practices that, for example, uh, historically, some nations are not comfortable to talk, for mm -hmm. example, China, mm -hmm. where we know it just simply uh, created with their, um, how they were taught. Mm -hmm. Or ex-CIS countries, uh, uh, USSR territory. And on a country, US culture is very proactive and they are promoting uh, whistleblowing. So in Middle East, I would say it's more um, in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not see um, any of those extremes. And it's more of a, uh, I would say, company-driven, if there is a proper uh, corporate culture which encourages employees to talk and they see results mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. those investigations, then they start speaking more practically. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. So I also asked you before, so what is your own passion about compliance? Because I know, you know, we, we work in the compliance environment. We all have passion for what we are doing. For some of our listeners, it's maybe not that clear that we can have passion for compliance. So I'm really curious, learning from you, what drives you in your environment? Well, I started compliance 15 years ago, and I still love it. And I, I think this is one of the few functions which allows us to see what's happening in organization, like have a helicopter view in different dimensions, any function, uh, possibility to deep dive. It's not a lot of functions which allow such a diverse overview um, of the organization. And what I really love is that um, compliance helps to drive integrity in the organization and support fairness. For me, what, what really is my passion, I really, I really enjoy that there is a fairness in place. That employees, if they are asking for something, that there is a fair judgment. Um, and uh, especially I enjoy when it's being supported from top management, that when there is a tone mm -hmm. at the top and you know that you're coming to, to the um, executives who are really has to share the same values as you are and they are really seeking for the fairness. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really uh, something that drives me. <laughs> and what are, the, thank you very much, what are, what are the biggest challenges you see also, you know, for compliance and responsiveness right now in these days, you know, maybe also over the last two years, because what I see, you know, it really changed also over the last two and a half years since the pandemic. You know, there are additional challenges also for compliance departments. So what do you see from your side right now? Um, I do see um, increase in uh, HR-related cases. Mm -hmm. um, that people are, um, I got a feeling that people becoming more stressed mm -hmm. and we do see results of those um, certain um, anxiousness and uh, difficulties each of us uh, had during mm -hmm. pandemic time. Um, and at the moment, uh, yeah, so I am able to, to see in the statistics, if we analyze statistics, that um, there are um, more um, interpersonal conflicts, really? which, okay. which, which are a, 
not a short one, but those which are coming for the last couple of years and they, you know, just growing, growing, growing and explode at some point of time. Mm-hmm. So that is a, one of the trends I see uh, quite clearly uh, within the last uh, year and two. So have you ever been in the um, situation that your own personal integrity was under pressure? Yes. I um, would you like um, to share it? You know, you are you can <laughs> always say no, I'm not going to answer that. But I know that also our listeners are very curious about that because I think everybody of us was already under pressure when it came to our integrity. And it's always interesting to hear also how um, people managed it. Also for our maybe younger listeners to 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 know they are not alone here. Um Okay, so um, let me think about the example I can share. <laughs> um, Otherwise, yes, you know, a... if it's too personal, let me know, <laughs> and then I just go on and will ask you how would you recommend um, to react and to manage it to your younger self? I would say um, choose carefully which company you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it relates to the two dimensions. Um, first, management you're going to work with. Have an interview not only with your direct manager or legal counsel, but your business partner. Mm-hmm. And understand the values of this person, what drives him or her. Um, because unfortunately, the common mistake I was mistake me and a few of my friends doing in their careers, in their compliance careers, that they was purely choosing a functional path. They was having an interview with the manager, one on one, chairman of compliance committee, but they haven't had the chance to talk with the business partners because they would might hear a completely different story, and then that leads to the um, certain difficulties in the career, including. Um, difficult business decisions and challenges which might uh, come to uh, to the career because of the disynchronization or different values um, between yourself and your business partner. That's a very good one because that's exactly what happens. You know, normally you have this one-to-one when you are applying for a function, you are really going to be interviewed and assessed also for that function. But especially for compliance, it's so so important to understand with whom am I asking and dealing uh, that I'm working and dealing with in a day-to-day um, situation and of course that's business and if you cannot also if you cannot trust your business partner it's quite difficult for a compliance responsible as a third line of de- or as a second line of defense you know yeah true so first line of defense and second line of defense need to meet before um, they make the decision to work with um, each other absolutely so thank you very much. I think it's also helpful for our um, colleagues listening to us right now and maybe not being as experienced as you are already. So what else do you think are the trends now also for the future when it comes to compliance and corporate integrity? I think there is a huge shift <laughs> going on right now. So where do, would you like to see compliance maybe in two or three years? Um, first of all, there is a 
continuous trade, uh, trend of globalization. So as we see, a lot of legislation are um, being um, launched uh, in a different part of the world, uh, such as uh, data protection, for example, mm -hmm. and GDPR being replicated in other uh, in other countries. Um, we also see a bribery, anti-bribery, anti-corruption regulation coming all over the world. So, and it, they are approximately very similar, mm -hmm. um, with a minor local deviations. So, I think that we are coming to the world when there would be um, global compliance framework. This would be nice and, if we have a global one and not all the different ones. That's exactly what we would need, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I do hope that we will come to this point one day, but definitely um, that's a, not the midterm solution. No, yeah, actually, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, um, what I think that we are moving to, we are coming from the phase of basic compliance. So at the moment, we do see that there is a basic compliance organizations, uh, organizations which has a basic compliance uh, structures, then there is uh, some mature organizations. And I think that we are coming to the advanced compliance uh, stage where compliance would be perceived not as a, not as a control function, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as a competitive business advantage. Great, thank you. Uh, exactly, yes. Yeah. So compliance is a value preposition. I believe this is a future um, of um, of the function uh, when we can really negotiate deals based on the compliance. For example, for the merchant acquisitions, you're buying the company who has mm -hmm. no compliance culture. So you can already say on the pre-acquisition stage that you will have to uh, assess compliance framework because that would lead to the significant risk for you or even get a significant discount because there is unpredictable risks in the business. Or on the contrary, if you buy a strong uh, organization, a company with a stronger compliance framework, that is a definitely advantage. Mm -hmm. And you know that there is no hidden uh, Pandora boxes you would open once you acquire the organization. That's absolutely right for me and that's also what i hope for it's not only hoping but that's also what we work for because as you said at the beginning you know it's a competitive advantage what i see often it's not yet recognized as that it's still a burden but for me you know also what you said right now if you are for example acquiring a company with a strong compliance framework but not only on paper but also implemented and lift reducing the risks uh, risks based on that you know i would also be willing paying goodwill for that exactly 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 um so and that's why this is an advanced stage mm -hmm. which we uh, hopefully come to um and as we're talking today about specificity of middle east mm -hmm. i think that uh, middle east at the moment has a very active trend and moving from the basic to mature mm -hmm. in most of the organization um that's uh, the trends I can see from the local uh, compliance conferences. Yep. But still, um, we are not still on the level of European compliance. When you see a uh, compliance week in Brussels versus Dubai, you do see that there is a still mm -hmm. certain level of improvement which required in the region to go to the, to, to the European level. 
but when, you know when I witness what's going on in Dubai, you know the speed they have. You know, I think it takes not that long for for um, that region to Absolutely. you know to really also come to the more advanced and professional and um, advanced level. Because what I saw now also over the last um, four years, for example, you know they really came from nothing to basic and now already that's what you know it, it's so nice to see and they really yeah. want to change they would like to become best in class and at least as good as the western part and you know that's what they really like and they highly appreciate that they put a lot of effort into that exactly exactly you're absolutely right within within like four or five years mm-hmm. i see significant shift in their compliance mindset of uh, Middle Eastern companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really amazing how serious they take the matter and how fast they are moving. Now, a lot of national companies understand that they need to have a compliance framework and sometimes they don't even have uh, obligations to yes. follow European or US framework, but they deliberately decide to do so. And again, to just show, uh, show the advantage, show competitive advantage that we do have all the required uh, elements of the program in place. I do not knowing that, for example, the code of conduct is just one part of compliance, you know, and it's it's really <laughs> very happy where we start with. But um, I also support companies. They have such a strong um, code of conduct, you know. They really live it and they demonstrate it. And you know, it's also part where when they have any agreements with partners and partnerships they build up, you know, it's all about the values. And um Sometimes I think, you know, they, they do much more um, than maybe, how should I say, it's not it's not because they have to. They just do it because they know it's all value-based at the end. And it's, as you said, it's not the obligation. It's just how they would like also to be seen. And they put the boundaries with whom they would like to make business. You know, it's not formalized always. That's what I see. You know, they had they do much more than they have in their papers. It's not formalized, but it's it's maybe in a much more um, natural way they do it. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's I, I would think that that's relates to the vision and ambitions of those mm-hmm. countries which wants to be a best place in the world. Um, and so, for example, Dubai strategy, um, which which even shows in this example that companies taking uh, even when it's when it's about the organization they they take it to the highest level mm-hmm. so they they establish um, ecg frameworks they they talk not about the, the compliance but they talk about the entire government structure they said it right from the very beginning. When they started the project, they started hiring compliance, not in the middle of somewhere, mm-hmm. but from the very beginning, there's a project stage, they establish a new company, they create a new project, and they hire compliance officer. I yeah. think this is really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, they really and I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and I'm sure this this region would, uh, would be uh, one of the leading, and it is already one of the leading, mm-hmm. um, in compliance uh, um in compliance area shortly, um, just simply because of their how strategically they approach in the topic. So, Elena, it was a real pleasure, and I think we could go on for hours right now. And if you, if you also allow me to invite you again, and also see maybe what's going on in, over the next na- um, six months, you know, 
And in Dubai, in your region, when it comes to compliance, it would be a real pleasure also for our listeners. So thank you very much for sharing with us. Uh, yes, we could talk now much more. And I think we, we would not run out of any topics <laughs> talking about compliance. So um, I wish you all the best. And I'm looking forward to having you in our, one of our next shows very, very soon. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Sonia. It was a pleasure. This was another episode of the Human Factor Corporate Integrity Matters, today with Elena Kovaleva. Following the motto, Corporate Integrity Secures and Empowers Individuals and Organizations. Thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stirnemann and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye. Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? Sharing is caring and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget... Topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know.